hard to work if you're blind. The Americans with uh, Disabilities Act has made that better, but still some 70% of people in the U.S. who are sight impaired uh, are unable to work. That percentage is higher for people who are totally blind. And I guess it's because of my uh, interest in the history of American music that I had somebody ask me one time, why is it that all of the early blues, not all of them, but so many of them, were blind. There was uh, blind Lemon Jefferson and blind Blake and blind Willie Johnson, among others. And the reason was simply that at the turn of the 20th century in the Jim Crow South, about the only job a black man could get was sharecropping. And it's hard to pick cotton effectively when you can't see. And so these early bluesmen eked out a living with their talent for music. If not for that special talent, they may well have starved to death. And in the days before mass transportation, before buses and trains, if you were blind, you couldn't go very far. You'd live where you did, and you'd go out on the street, and you'd beg in the same place day by day. And people tend to no longer notice what they see every day. And so in addition to being blind, many of these people became invisible. I want to read to you today from John's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But the man himself said, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Father, grant to us as we consider your word today, as we see your kindness and compassion, that you'd enable us to see. Amen. It's hard to work if you're blind. In the ancient world, the vast majority of people who were blind were reduced to begging. They were able to subsist only on the mercy, on the kindness, on the compassion, on the generosity of others who were passing by. Now, 
It was better in Israel than it was in most other places in the ancient world. Israel's Bible made the poor and the infirm the community's responsibility. It was at times even a part of Israel's liturgy. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 18 got an interesting passage there where in the worship uh, the priest is to say, Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. You might remember that Job had complained that his own suffering seemed so unfair because he said, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. Whenever I read that passage of Job saying, I was eyes to the blind, I'm reminded of this program that my wife is involved in that's called Be My Eyes. And uh, it's a program where people who are sight impaired um, can call people who are sighted and uh, because of the technology of cameras on smartphones can say, hey, I need some help uh, either reading a label or seeing where something goes and we'll hold the phone up. And I've heard my wife a few times guiding people through reading labels for them. The words of the Bible calling us to compassion on those who are in need are powerful words. But I mentioned this morning already that, that words, even God's words, can't change our hearts. The Apostle Paul had said that if a law had been given that could impart righteousness, Christ died needlessly. And so we may see the man begging at the intersection on the way to work. Maybe we're moved with compassion. We help him once. But if he's there day after day after day, we come to resent him. Surely that guy could do something, could get a job somewhere. Or we might start to think, I I wonder what he did to get himself into that situation. And eventually, he just becomes invisible. Like the stores we pass by don't really notice. The words of verse 1 strike me. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples are with him, but he sees the man. And more specifically, we could translate that perhaps more accurately, he saw the person. Not they saw the person, he saw the person. It's not surprising that they didn't see the person. There were disabled beggars all over the ancient cities, uh, the cities of the ancient world. I suppose like there are in cities today because there are many people passing by. And it's likely that Jesus' disciples had long ago stopped feeling the pain in their hearts, the compassion 
in their stomachs that every child feels when he first passes by someone in bad situation. And probably for Jesus' disciples as for everyone else, this man was practically invisible. Then I note too that we're told that he saw a person blind from birth. Not that he saw a blind person, but he saw a person, a precious image bearer of God rendered blind because the now fallen creation had expressed itself that way in him. You know, the fallen creation expresses itself in all of us, in me and in you, but it does it in different ways. Jesus sees this man and he has compassion upon him. And of course, as we read along, he heals him. Of course he did. What else would he do? He's the Messiah, after all. Peppered throughout the prophet Isaiah, we're told what the Messiah would do when he came. It says things like this, In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. We're told that he would come to open eyes that are blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And he says through the lips of the prophet, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. And it's, it's funny, you know, as you read this account, how Jesus heals. He spits on the ground, he makes mud, he rubs it on the man's eyes. And then he, he tells the man to go wash, uh, to go to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. And it strikes me that Jesus doesn't tell him why he's doing this. And, and you wonder as you look at this, you know, what is Jesus doing here? Well, Well, let me tell you, friends, I encourage you, don't look for magic in the mud. One thing that I note that strikes me as I read through the Gospels is that Jesus deals with people differently. He deals with people as individuals. Some people he touches. Some people he only speaks to. In this case, man's case, he put mud on his eyes. Why? I have no idea. But Jesus knew what was needed. And he knows what this man needs. And so what will this man's life be like now? Well, we don't know. And truth be told, at this point, he doesn't know. But there's a whole new world of possibilities before him now. It's like Isaiah had said. God will lead him by paths he has not known. He'll walk in unfamiliar paths now, but God will be with him because he's turned this man's darkness into light and the rough places will now be smooth, at least as smooth as they are for most of us. 
And I read passages like this or think of our missionaries over in Ukraine and I have to laugh at myself sometimes when I complain about the miserable situation we're in of the minuscule temporary inflation and high gas prices. God help us if we ever encountered anything that was really difficult. It's hard to work when you're blind. And this man here was not the only one without the ability to see. We've already gotten a sense of it here. His disciples couldn't see, but Jesus was going to fix that too. So our text tells us that, that he saw the man blind from birth. Jesus saw the man blind from birth. As I said, it seems that this man was invisible to the disciples as he was to others. They don't notice him until Jesus' interest in him brings their attention to him. You know, before my youngest daughter was born, I was pretty blind to people with disabilities. God's providence in our lives made me start to notice people with disabilities. Eventually, it made me sensitive to the fact that not all disabilities are immediately visible. You can't always see them all right away. I heard some time ago, really not very long ago, about a, a, a woman uh, who has a degenerative bone disease and she's in almost constant pain, so she's got handicap plates and she had parked and went into a store and as she was getting out of her car she was berated by a man who said you should be ashamed of yourself you don't look disabled and yet you take up space like this you should be ashamed and we're so quick to judge by what our eyes see and to speak before we know what we're talking about and when they do see the man they're still blind. And they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It was the question their theology had taught them to ask. It was the theology of the Pharisees, but I think not just of them. It seems to be the theology that all people have a propensity toward. I'm blessed because I'm good. Others suffer because they're not as good as I am. So if you don't want to suffer, then just be good like I am. You would have thought that they would have learned the lesson from God's great displeasure toward Job's friends who drew a similar conclusion about Job's suffering, but no. Who's to blame here? Who's to blame? Because if we can fix responsibility, if we can figure out who's to blame, then we can avoid responsibility. You made your own bed. Lie in it. You created the situation you're in. Deal with it. And we can tend to be like that, can't we? It's your fault. It's your problem. 
thank God that Jesus didn't deal with us like that. That he didn't say, you're separated from God because of your own sins, so you can just go to hell, who cares? The problems that all of us have are due to sin in the world, but there's not always a direct correspondence between someone's behavior and what they suffer. And even when someone's suffering and their circumstances are due to their behavior, well, we see Jesus have compassion upon them and help them anyway. Because that's grace, after all. When people talk about others getting what they deserve, whatever they're talking about, they're not talking about grace. When I was a new Christian, I was keenly aware that I had been a rebel against God, saved by nothing other than the great mercy and grace of God. And, and as a young Christian, I remember then when I see people suffering for whatever reason, my heart's reflex was for compassion upon them because I knew the compassion that God had upon me. And then I got theologized. Not so much as I think back over it by my pastors or even my professors. I think it was largely by Christian radio. And I was taught to suppress compassion, to put away compassion and in any situation ask, whose fault is that? Because if we can fix blame, we can avoid responsibility. Jesus' answer to them is beautiful and it's battering. It's compelling and it's convicting. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Seeing the man's situation, Jesus didn't look to fix the blame. He saw opportunity for the kingdom of God, the very reason he'd come to invade the here and now. And you know, that's what Jesus intends for us to do as well. Jesus told a a story, a parable of sorts, I suppose it is, in Matthew 25. And it ends by saying, or at least a section of it does, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance in the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, 
whenever you did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine. You did it for me. It's evident that Jesus wants to include us in that work that he's doing. You know, we're told that, 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 that Jesus had seen the man. And then he goes on to say that as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Not I must do the work, but we must do the work of him who sent me. In chapter 14 of John's gospel, as Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he'll say, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Not greater works in the sense of better works, but greater works in the sense of being broader and more widespread because Jesus in the days of his earthly ministry was confined by space and time. If he was healing people in Capernaum, he couldn't be healing people in Jerusalem. But it's his intention to include his people in the work. And then Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus had spoken words like that before. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. What did he mean by that? That the world was going to have light for the two more years that he was with us? That for the last 2,000 years, there's been no light in the world? Is that what he meant? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus bestowed upon us the greatest honor that we could have. John told us at the start of his gospel that he was the light who coming into the world enlightened every man. In Matthew, Jesus says to us, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. What? Why? How? Because Jesus has gone to the Father. Because he's not left us as orphans, but has come to us. Because he sent his Holy Spirit, not only to be with us, but to be within us. Because we've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Has Jesus opened your eyes? Opened your eyes to see who he is? Open your eyes to see the kingdom of God? Has he opened your eyes to the work that he's called us to, to the, to the great honor that he's bestowed upon you? Don't allow yourself to be blinded by the theology of the Pharisees or by Christian broadcasters or by anyone else. Jesus has called you to follow him 
to do the works that he himself did, to have the compassion on people that he himself has, and to hold forth the grace of God in all of its glorious graciousness. Can you see it? Because it's hard to work if you're blind. Father, open uh, our eyes, we pray. Lord, what a strange thing that the Pharisees could proclaim themselves as guides to the blind. And by means of the good and holy law that you gave them, blinded their own eyes and not content with that, blinded the eyes of others. Father, cause the scales to fall from our eyes as you cause the scales to fall from the eyes of self-righteous Saul. And use us too, we pray, in great and mighty ways to do your work. That in doing that work, as people see it, they would give glory to you. Many would come to King Jesus. Be redeemed. And bless us in that and give us success in it, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.